you listening to Dolly right now? Adam, we always have to do that. That's how so, it goes. See, you're new, you don't understand. I say something ridiculous. Uh, he, he belittles me. It's kind of how it goes. Yeah, we're the part, as Adam says. Adam. I told you. Um, <laughs> so no, that, uh, that was a, a cover of uh, Bonnie Raitt and her song "Give It Up or Let Me Go" by uh, the Chicks, uh, the artist and formerly known as the Dixie Chicks, uh, from their oh, their debut song with uh, Natalie uh, Maines called "Wide Open Spaces." I picked it because a couple reasons. I think first and foremost, because I'm a chick. Oh, 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 she you in there, man. No. I mean, like, that would be a little on the nose. No. Okay. Not at all. Uh, to, oh, but it does apply to you in, in, in one sense. First of all, it's a really fun song. I wanted to find something that kind of ties into the, what we're drinking today. Um, we are not in France. We are not in Spain. We are not in South America. We are not drinking wine. We are drinking whiskey today. Uh, we have a very special guest with us. Uh, this is Kristen LaRochelle. Um, say hi to everybody. Hello, Kristen. everybody. And um, so I picked it because they are, first of all, they're, they're great musicians. They're really talented. Uh, Natalie Maines is an amazing singer, a really powerful voice, and is unabashedly, unequivocally uh, progressive. Um, anyone during the run-up of what was probably the biggest Middle Eastern blunder and kind of gave the President of the United States, who had a 70% approval rating at that time, the middle finger. Oh, yeah, she did. Um, Go for her. And didn't apologize for it is okay with me. She's a badass. And uh, so I saw an Instagram post that you had the other day uh, talking about what's been going on with uh, the Supreme Court. And I thought it was really brave because you're also actively selling a product. Mm. And, you know, that is something that we always grapple with when we're doing our podcast, how political do we get? But the reality is politics is involved with all the stuff that we do. And um, that's why I picked it. I just love that song. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I had to put on my Instagram that my opinions are my own, just in case I <laughs> to get confused. Um, but I think um, one of the whiskeys that we're going to talk about today, I can say wholeheartedly that the guys that are behind the the helm there are very progressive and are happy to speak out, especially when it comes to women's rights. So I felt very comfortable making that video. I wasn't getting a lot of backlash for that, but um, yeah, it's a, I made a whiskey margarita, essentially. It was a Tennessee margarita. Um, and uh, I think that the best part about it was I said, you can shake it the way you would shake the necks of the Supreme Court justices. <laughs> <laughs> it was tasty too, highly recommend, That's 10 awesome. out of 10. So can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, who you are and um, you know what do you do? What is your your role within what we have here? And just in a broader context of what yeah, you sure. So uh, I'm a clown essentially uh, that sells booze for a living. Um, I'm a former bartender and restaurant hospitality person uh, for over 20 years. I worked my way up. I, I joke that I've done everything, including cleaning toilets in a restaurant. I've worked the line, managed. I've waited tables. Um, I was a distributor for eight years, and now I work for a wine and spirits supplier for the last three years um, with a focus on fine wine and craft spirits. Um, I am endlessly nerdy, so your show is right up my alley. Um, I also host a podcast about booze called The Booze Hustle, where I interview uh, just people that are interesting in our industry, um, and I tend to make it a little bit more 
fun and uh, you know a little bit about where people came from. So a little less on the process and the product, a little bit more about the people behind it. So um, yeah, so uh, I find myself with you guys today because I am representing a couple of the whiskeys that you guys work with. Mm -hmm. uh, so today we have uh, High West, which is a fantastic distillery in Park City, Utah. Uh, and then we're gonna talk about Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery uh, from Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, which is brand new up here. We just expanded in all 50 states. Uh, and I'm very excited to talk about um, their Tennessee whiskey. Awesome. So uh, just quickly, I've listened to your podcast before, and I want to say that we've actually branched out with uh, uh, fame because you had John Malkovich on your podcast. Yeah. And if we want to do the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there is no degree between them. I'm sure they've met before. Sure. Um, and because he's connected to Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon is connected to every other famous actor in the world, mm -hmm. um, including uh, my favorite Frank Oz, who mm -hmm. uh, was the voice of Yoda, um, and also Gonzo, I believe, Muppets are and great. Miss Piggy. Um, and so now you're here with that two degree separation of Kevin Bacon. And so now it's like, like you've had you, you, Frank you, Oz. On, you, you and Frank Oz are best friends. Yeah. I mean, as far as that's, I'm concerned, that's just, amazing. Um, yeah, and, no. And now for you, uh, more of John Legend. Yes. Okay. And Chris yes. All right. Um, well, I will say John is uh, a one degree separation from me because my very dear friend Tawny does a show with him on Netflix. Yes. So she I was know. very, very well. gracious uh, to to set that up, uh, and he is a wildly entertaining person and uh he's we edited a lot out of that episode i'll just say that but he's just such an interesting guy yeah he has a winery in the south of france it's wild yeah. we're, we're never gonna get the wines here don't even try yeah, it's, and the, the right? yeah and they're expensive and they're bizarre and amazing so it's funny because listening to that interview he sounds exactly like his his character on Space Force, which sounds exactly like every character he had done. There's a theme. After, uh, after making Mr. Right, which is, I think, his first break for, for in the early 80s, where he played a robot. I mean, there's a reason there's a movie called Being John Malkovich, because he is who he Best. is all the time. <laughs> yeah. You fall into a wormhole with, with Malkovich. He's an interesting guy. Um, but that leads us to whiskey, because uh, yeah. he's definitely somebody I would love to have a glass of whiskey with, for sure. Uh, the stories that he would I'm sure. <laughs> well, where should we jump in? Uh, you, you know, Utah. So we have you know, two. So this is first, my first time trying the Nelson Springbrier. All right, we gotta go. Um, we gotta go this one first. And uh, I was really just taken by the the complexity of their of their bourbon. Nice. So are we going to the bottom? I I, I anticipated. I got that one in the glass. We're good. You're, you're way ahead of me here. Uh, are we going to the bottom of the bottle today? Because we have five bottles of whiskey. This could get dangerous. If we actually, uh... I leave the sloppiness <laughs> to you guys. I am a lady. <laughs> I am a chick. Some, sometimes I am too. <laughs> um, well, I, I'm not going to go to the bottom of the bottle, but I'm going to certainly smell and taste a little bit with you guys. But um, what I just poured is the Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey, which is the crown gem, uh, gem in the crown uh, for uh, the distillery right now. So um, Charlie and Andy Nelson, uh, a couple of brothers, they... I mean, the way that they even dis like discovered that they had this in their family is bizarre. Uh, but they, um, you know, they were in their early twenties. Uh, they were on their way with their dad to pick up a share of a cow from a butcher, as one does in Tennessee. Uh, and they stopped to get gas, and they're standing outside pumping gas. And there's this mile marker, and it said Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery, 
quarter mile down Long, Long Branch Road. They were like, Nelson's Green Bar Distillery. And they knew they had someone in their family that was into distilling. They heard, you know, some sort of like family history, but they thought it was like, you know, bathtub gin guy, Appalachian Hill moonshine guy. Sure. They didn't really actually think there was a distillery. So they, uh, they went inside um, and they got to the butcher and they're like, hey, we saw this mile marker. And he's like, the distillery? Right across the street. Barrel house, still there. And they like they said that like they got goosebumps, like every hair on their body stood up. They walked across the street, the spring was still running, they took a drink from the spring. They were like, This is this is what we have to do for a living. Wow. Um, they went to the historical society, she handed them a bottle with this original label on it. Same label as on the um, they had the bottle mold, uh, original bottle mold recreated. Uh, and they got the federal designation for distillery number five in honor of their family history. So this was in the 1800s, their great, great, great grandfather, triple grandfather, Charles Nelson, who's an immigrant from uh, Germany. Uh, and he was at the time producing over 2 million bottles of whiskey a year in the wow. mid 1800s. Wow. Like incredible. Like back then people were selling whiskey by the jug, by the barrel. Mm -hmm. He was one of the first to be putting them in bottles. And this was one of uh, like a whole house or family of whiskeys that he was producing at the time. Uh, he passed away in 1891, which is why our Tennessee whiskey we're tasting right now is 91 proof. It's a nod to him. Uh, and his wife, Louisa, ran the distillery until Prohibition by herself, which is kind of badass like, for a woman at that time. That's awesome. Yeah, so um, so they dis they discovered this. They decided this is our dream. This is what we're going to do. Uh, they put things in motion with a whiskey called Bell Mead to kind of help them raise capital and lay the groundwork to bring back the original Tennessee whiskey. We should talk about how Tennessee whiskey is made. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so a uh, little slightly different. This Tennessee whiskey is a weeded whiskey, uh, so it's 71% corn. 14% wheat in there. This does use the uh, Lincoln County process, which is when you see sour mash on the label. That's what that that's what that means. Um, it's just simply a filtration system that they use uh, through sugar, maple, charcoal. Um, it takes out a little bit of the, the roughness from the, the whiskey, makes it a little bit um, cleaner. Um, there was a, a great expression, which I'm not even gonna attempt, that, that supposedly his great-great-great-grandfather used to say about how it like, lowered the spirits so you could carry on to another day just making it like a softer easier drinking whiskey um, and it has to be aged uh, in Tennessee so uh, it takes this one has been uh, lovingly aged uh, about five to seven years uh, and it's just delicious what do we think it, I, so the obviously spirits I mean, we, we drink we, when we drink wine all the time we're talking about balance and and the burn you get from alcohol, like how hot is it in the mouth? How does it burn on the way down? And you, you don't normally have that discussion when you're drinking a straight spirit because it's it's alcohol. It's it's gonna burn. This is amazingly easy to drink. Yeah. Like the burn on like this. Don't get me wrong. There's a burn, but it's not it's not overwhelming. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it is it, it's subtle and it's not overwhelming all the other flavors that are coming from the whiskey, which is really had to do with. Uh, yeah. You know, with any distillery. Well, I think it's important also that we, we explain to the listeners uh, the, the difference between smelling wine and whiskey because um, here we are with whiskey in our glasses. Uh, so our natural inclination is like as wine people is to like jam our nose in there and just take a big sniff, which is going to burn your nostril hairs right off. So um, when you're smelling a spirit, um, you're going to tilt your glass towards your nose and you're going to put your no nose just slightly above the top of the glass and you're going to leave your mouth open 
and you're going to kind of take a, a like a big breath in. So you're getting it through your mouth and your nose, and that's going to help you smell all of those really interesting um, elements of the whiskey without getting a nose full of alcohol because the alcohol is what's heavier. It's going to sit in the bottom of the glass. So um, we're talking about burn on the palate, but this is also burn on the nose. Sure. Um, and then when you're tasting it, I saw you put a drop or two of water in it. That's awesome. That's also going to help with the burn. So if you're trying to taste um, different unique elements of the whiskey, put a little bit of water in there and that will just open up the molecules. You'll get all these flavors. Um, when I smell this, I did a comparative tasting actually with some of our rye from High West and this uh, a few weeks ago, and I immediately smelled gala apples. So if you think about an apple and you smell it, there it is. I can get that. And, and um, I always get with, with weeded whiskeys, this very kind of soft, subtle vanilla. Um, and, you know, it's a little more kind of ethereal, aromatically, than something that has, has a right to it. I personally like to stick my nose in because as I've gotten older, <laughs> I'm almost 50, I get a lot of nose hair. And just, it's cheaper than a wax. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's a very painful place to get a wax. Um, so. Yeah. Well. Um, I'm just I'm, I'm just sticking my nose back in it. I will say though, um, the difference between this, there's a, other, a couple other bigger Tennessee whiskey brands out there. This is a slightly higher proof. So this is 92 proof, um, but I think you guys will agree tasting it, it doesn't drink like a 92 proof. No. It's very soft. Uh, it's got a great little, it, it, it has a finish more of like an 80 proof, yeah. um, but great for mixing cocktails, uh, margaritas. Uh, and I would imagine, <laughs> and I would imagine too, because you have more alcohol naturally into it, you have more viscosity. It's going to maintain through the um, through whatever mixer you're using, or if you're making um, margarita or a sour based cocktail where you're shaking it, you get more dilution than a stir. You're still going to maintain some natural viscosity to it. Yeah, for everyone who loves making margaritas with like reposado tequilas, like try a, a, a whiskey, try like a lighter style whiskey. Um, you know, it, it's, it'll surprise you. It's delicious. And I mean, the things that you're liking about Reposado tequilas are essentially the, that influence from a barrel. Sure. This could be life changing for me because I'm not allowed to drink tequila. So. <laughs> I can change your mind about that. Well, no, 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 I, I went through a whole conversation. I would this. love to have a margarita with tequila in it. Uh, I'd be divorced in about 30 seconds. So I, but how much uh, of it are you in, drinking? He gets into fights. No, 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 no. Uh, that, that's gin. I, oh, that's gin. That's gin. Oh my God, you, your personality derived from the liquor that you drank? Yes. Interesting. Are you sure we, it's we, not the quantity of alcohol that you're drinking? That's what I a little bit of A, a little bit of B. So like I, <laughs> I, 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 I do the same thing with whiskey and it doesn't happen, so. I don't know, man. I, so I'm, I used to be on that camp, but then like, I have this love of agave spirits and I really have a hard time with like the very 90s opinion of tequila that still exists that like oh if you want to get crazy or you're gonna barf drink tequila so like i i find that americans specifically when they drink tequila they drink too much tequila goes down really easy you can throw a, margar a few margaritas back you sure. do a bunch of shots i think people abuse tequila in a way that they don't abuse other spirits so then why why are we surprised when they have some crazy <laughs> reaction to it i i abuse all spirits Relatively equally, yeah. So it's it's not it's it's any of the clear ones. Vodka, gin, rum, tequila, just a not. Okay. I like all of that. And even I like them. I'm just it's just you know. I I went to so I have a good friend who's Russian, and on my birthday, which I never celebrate my birthday, no one ever knows what it is. It's always it's a lie on Facebook, and I change it every year. 
um, because I just feel awkward because I'm an awkward person. But uh, <laughs> we went to his house for dinner, and my wife was like, "Oh, you know, let's go to Dan Divius. You don't like doing anything for your birthday, anyways." And and I was like, "I don't want to." He's having a vodka party. I'm like, I don't want to have a vodka party. And at this point, I was knee deep in in working in a whiskey bar and developing a whiskey program. And uh, so I'm like, I don't really care about vodka. But we went anyways. I had bought a really great Grand Cru Classe um, Santa Million that I drank most of. We went to the house. He made this traditional uh, Russian dumpling. Ooh. And what he did with the vodka was really cool. He took... Um, he infused it with one with lemon, the other with dill, and then it was in the middle of winter. I won't say when because I don't want any birthday cards. And uh, so you just have to guess and send me gifts constantly until <laughs> uh, you get it right. But he put that bottle into a soda two liter container, filled it with water, like cut the top off, and froze it with the herbs that he put in or the lemon. And so when you get there on the table, it was his infused vodka in ice and you just took it you would have some of the soup or the dumpling and you would do a quick shot of vodka and it was the cleanest and we drank all the wine but it was the cleanest hangover i read my entire life and i actually really enjoyed it so much so when i went back to my whiskey bar and i was like you guys you gotta try this vodka like this <laughs> i started doing that um and uh people were like all right it's not as not as bad as we thought yeah but it not in cocktails just to like yeah, I have. Back. I learned the hard way. Um, never try to go toe to toe on vodka uh, in general with um, Eastern Europeans, Northern Europeans, Russian folk, because um, the the way they drink is different. It's not. They're not like sitting out with a cocktail or a beer. It's like they're just popping a shot back, popping a shot back. Mm -hmm. and next thing you know, you're like, I have lost count. <laughs> yep. um, and depending on the quality of the vodka that you're drinking, <laughs> your next day is uh, not going to be pretty. Yep. Yeah, but well, whiskeys get after it. Yeah, well, I poured on the classic in your glasses just for a little comparative tasting here. So, what's interesting and unique about their bourbons is they have a higher um, proportion of rye in them, and we'll talk about rye a little bit later. But um, I think what's great about this is that rye really balances out like the sweetness of the corn. It adds so much more structure. Um, it adds a little bit of spiciness. So if you're making a cocktail, um, I feel like it really um, adds all of these elements that stand up against whatever you mix it with. Um, so this is the Nelson Brothers Classic, um, which is, you know, decent price point so you can make a cocktail with it. Even as you guys were saying before with, with bourbon, you think of that sweet vanilla, right, as the kind of the, the dominant note from the barrel. And it's not in this. There's layers to this thing. Well, what I think it goes back to the Tennessee whiskey as well, which was a 91 proof on mm -hmm. that one. Yep. Oh, yeah, this, this is 93. 93. And, you know, I used to tell my staff all the time, don't describe a whiskey as being good because because it's smooth. Mm -hmm. Because hold over hold is smooth and pappy is not. Like, mm -hmm. you know, there needs to be some kind of rough and tumble element to it. But what I love about it, you get the heat on in the chest. Like, that just doesn't lie. But you don't feel it. Yeah. It does not feel hot on the palate at all. I don't know. There's something just so sexy about whiskey. Totally segueing here. Uh, I feel like there's something romantic about drinking whiskey that I don't get from anything else. I've tried. Gone all the way around the Chris <laughs> wheel. You know, there's like a, a, a special feeling that it imparts in you. I don't know if it's... So I'm, I went to school for journalism. I'm a writer. And I, I equate it to like 
being a poet and sitting in it, like bringing out this really creative part of your brain that just feels really warm and, you know, it makes your eyes wider. I don't know if you guys get that, but I get that from drinking good whiskey. I, so in about two weeks from next Monday, I'm going to be uh, heading out to Scotland um, for work. On the wine side. Work in quotation yeah. well, marks. So we had one of one of our suppliers um, had given us kind of a some goals to hit, and then we had the option of going to like Burgundy, going to Champagne, going to Spain or Italy, and the majority of us, thank you so much, chose Scotland. I chose Scotland Hell because yeah. I just want to go to Scotland. And what I want to do is sit in a bar somewhere by myself because the the supplier doesn't have any scotches they represent. It's just more of a fun trip. Yeah, fun. It's not a death march where you're going to the winery, going to the next winery, you know, at the winery at 9 in the morning and tasting at 9.30 slightly fermented wine, which is an interesting thing to learn. But after a while, it's just really mean. After four days. After yeah. four yeah, days, it's, it's horrible. So my, my goal is to sit in a bar somewhere uh, wearing a turtleneck sweater, which I don't wear sweaters at all, nor a turtleneck, but it seems... <laughs> appropriate mm -hmm. and I'm going to read poetry and I don't read what a perfect place to do that though so, so like you, you're going to be like an, a, uh, uh, an emotionally available Bond villain is that what's going <laughs> on here yeah, with the turtleneck exactly. and the poetry and exactly the I like that imagery <laughs> yeah it'll be raining outside you'll be holding a cat <laughs> <laughs> it'll be hairless <laughs> wait I'm I, describing <laughs> describing Dr. Evil I, sorry <laughs> We're going to have to class it up. But now okay. we are drinking the reserve. So what is the oak aging on, on the Ooh. classic? So the oak aging on the classic is uh, around uh, four or five years. This one we're getting into more uh, eight years. Mm -hmm. um, this on is, yeah, on the reserve, eight, eight to 12, just depending on, it's, it's obviously a blend. But um, so this guy is high proof, right? Equally. 107. But I got I got to be honest like I, I don't feel that when mm. I drink it. Um I did a like kind of a whiskey fest at a casino which by the way a whiskey fest at a casino is literally just an opportunity people get trashed. Um and, I will, and lose a lot of money. I will still yeah right. You send them off like little like little ducklings off into the casino to drink that <laughs> whiskey. We'll see. Godspeed. It sounds like um, a family reunion. <laughs> But um, people kept coming up to me for this reserve, um, you know, and there's a lot of whiskeys at these shows. And I'd get people coming back um, just again and again being like, this whiskey is insane. And it is. It's, it's insane. Um, so Charlie and Andy, um, you know, they're, they're really laser focused on creating these incredible blended whiskeys. This bourbon is the product of some of the best whiskey that they can get their hands on. Um, you know, and just this one is also high rye. So this one, like I'd say they say between 25 and 35% rye. I don't pick up the spice in the rye. I was going to ask if it was weeded because if there's this real soft, mellow, um, delicate vanilla quality to it. And that's the aging. So what I think is really cool, uh, not to, not to interrupt, but mm -hmm. you're talking about, you know, them blending the, the, the whiskeys that they can get. Mm -hmm. And I think we become so, um, Negative. Negative about that. <laughs> and yet that's like the real art that people don't understand. My favorite uh, whiskey, single malts uh, from Scotland, are bottlers. They're not the distillers because they are taking 
whatever that canvas was that the that the distiller created and they have their own interpretation of what they think is really going to work well and i think when you start from soup to nuts and i had this conversation with a friend of mine who is all about grower producers everything which are great but you become a little too um controlling over the process and i think when you're a blender you're buying either new make spirit or you're buying barrels and you're starting to blend it together to create a composition you can create something that's really beautiful that the initial distillers could never imagine right yeah and, and i get asked a lot about mash bill specifics and i think it's important like listening to andy talk about it he calls it his spice his spice box he has like our spice rack <clears throat> he's got relationships in kentucky in tennessee and indiana and he has you know really long-standing relationships with some of the people that mentored them when they were starting out um who are giving them like incredible whiskey to use um so really his they have more options year after year to create this like consistent quality and style um when you are blending um obviously the tennessee whiskey is a different animal together that is their their baby they're making that you know um, but these um you know i don't know they're delicious uh, they're they're awesome and wow. to just put the blending too you're you're not blend. You're not, in not all cases, but in, in in cases like this, you're not blending to make an inferior or cheaper product to make more money. Right. Right. Like it's it's in like like Bordeaux is not blending its its six grapes because they want to save cash. They they want to make a better wine. Right. Right. So yeah. the the if you had a, a barrel of whiskey, that was so phenomenal you couldn't improve it by blending it. These guys know what they're doing. They wouldn't blend it. Right. They, yep. would, they would bottle it on its own and say, this, this is perfect, perfect as is, let's do it. The, they have this phenomenal you know, selection to, to make a more enjoyable mm -hmm. spirit for us to drink. And that, that's not a bad thing. They're, they're trying to do something. It's the, again, it's the, we're, we're so focused on place or barrel or whatever it is that we forget that, that the blend's there for a better product yeah. to begin well, with. And also, um, like for example, like one, another competitor ride you know, for the High West, but um, that was really one of the influential rise, I think, that you would see the market 10, 12 years ago was Whistlepig. And they started with a 10-year rye whiskey. Mm -hmm. You know, they weren't making that. It was actually coming from Canada. Right. Um, yeah. But it was, you know, Dave Pepperell, who was the blender for um, Maker's Mark, mm -hmm. figuring out how do we make this awesome. And that is the talent. So if we were to go to Scotland, which I will be going in a couple weeks, Stop rubbing it in, man. Um, he likes to do this. He, yeah. he went to New Zealand instead of me like five years ago. He reminded me at least once every other podcast. Yeah. Well, I did. I did go to New Zealand and Australia. Did you? I, 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 went, didn't know I that. went to New Zealand too. I, I can. I can do this measuring contest. <laughs> but the thing was, he's the one that won the trip. But then he left mm. the company for a while, and I got to go because I was there. Always take the trip before you leave the company, guys. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was four months away. I had to leave. The company, oh, so. yeah. What a bummer. But um, you know, if you go to Scotland and, and you're like getting the VIP tour, you meet the master distiller. But if you go to Japan and you get the VIP tour, you meet the master blender, because that's really where, it's not what the, the distiller does, is still art and it's still incredible. Um, you know, especially when you when you sit like, and you smell the 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 heads and, and, and the tails and that kind of like mm -hmm. really funky aroma they get. But like, at what point does the methanol stop? Like there's no green light, now we can start right. saving this. It's yeah. like intuition. Um, but to take that concept once again and figure out how to put that 
And then how long does it sit in the barrel? And okay, what does this going to taste like with this? It's, it's mm -hmm. really, I think that's the real art. Yeah, it's like being know. a con conductor. Yeah. It's like hearing all the different parts, knowing where they're going to intersect well and at what volume, you know, it's yeah. very cool. I really love this. Isn't that great? It's, Ugh. it's awesome. I mean, it's a little early in the day. I know the listeners don't know that, but like, I'd be I'd be hitting the bottle a little harder if uh, if it was later in the day. There's no judgment in this room, so you're okay. Can, can we? I mean, I mean, I know it's like blacked out, dark in here, but like, we could pretend it's nighttime. But mm -hmm. but, I, but I actually have things to do today. So, um, so, so do I. Yes, yeah, great. So do I. Thanks for having me on your podcast. I, I do take the wine route, and I do actually sip it out. So. Oh, that's smart. So. I should have done that. I took a I'm, good sip. I'm not, and I and I finished two of the, the ones that we bought. So I still have sales calls after this. It so. did get really hot in here all of a sudden. Um, where let's take a little road trip now, guys. Let's 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 hop in the car and we're gonna go to the west, into the mountains, to the place that is known most notably for people with blonde hair. And people who don't drink alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just spit, and a little bit of this. Oh, he burned his, yeah. into my eye. He, he burned his <laughs> eyeball <laughs> with whiskey. See, the whiskey wow. just got revenge for me for you rubbing New Zealand in every oh time you have a podcast. So. I'm fine. Are you going to be okay? I'm good. I'm All right. Well, he'll tough it out. Smooth. <laughs> God. Well, your eyes are watering now the way they would be watering on a ski lift in Park City, Utah. Let's go. Look at this. There we go. Yeah, let's go to Park City. So well I went done. full circle here. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about High West Distillery um, out of Park City in Utah, which is not one of the places people think of uh, when making whiskey, but it's high elevation spirits. Um, they do some cool stuff up there. Um, you know, over the years, um, they've had some really cool, unique things that come out. I think they're really most known for their Midwinter's Night's Dram that comes out in the fall. Um, they had an oat vodka for a little while that I, I was obsessed that. with. There was only two oat vodkas in the world. One was in the UK and one was High West. Um, it's really expensive to make vodka out of oats. But was it was... In a blue bottle? Yes. Yes, I remember. But it was really creamy and delicious and amazing. Uh, if you guys see a bottle of that anywhere, just buy it and then let these guys know and I'll buy it from you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Um, we have kind of grown um, in size, uh, in production in the last few years. Um, our flagship, um, well, I guess our core two whiskeys now are a bourbon and a double rye. Uh, and then we have a whiskey called Rendezvous, which is our flagship rye whiskey, which is what we're most known for is rye whiskeys, um, which we were talking a little bit before. A hallmark of a rye whiskey is spiciness, um, and these are known as the world's most spicy rye. That's the double rye, I guess, you know, claim to fame is that we're the spiciest rye. Um, and if you see a rye in the store, typically they could be 51% and call themselves a rye. Um, our ryes are very high in rye, so like 90, 95% rye content. So a lot of spice, a lot of structure, which means that if you're making an old fashioned or a Manhattan or any type of fun cocktail, um, your ingredients will not overpower the spirit. Um, it will really balance really lovely with it. Um, guess what? I don't know. What should I talk about? Like a little history? I have, yeah. I have a fun story about rendezvous. Let's, let's talk about rendezvous sure. first. Perfect. So a rendezvous is, um, it is what they used to do in the, in the West, essentially like in the 1800s when, you know, these mountain men and people were spread apart in different villages. Uh, they would have something called a rendezvous, which was every year they would meet up, they'd share 
you know, animal pelts and supplies and, you know, foodstuffs or whatever it is. And they, you know, just kind of like a swap meet. And then somewhere along the way, someone brought some whiskey. And uh, then it became a little bit more about the whiskey every year. And um, I always say it was the world's first whiskey fest. Uh, and um, the guys at that rendezvous probably look like the same guys that go to whiskey fest today, <laughs> like the big beards. Um, but that is the our flagship. So it is a uh, blend of straight high rye. Um, it is made in a copper pot still. We have a 250 gallon copper pot still in Park City, uh, right in downtown Park City. Like if you ski, you can ski into the distillery. That's that's a, the, so, the the copper pot still. I gotta. That's cool because so if distilling can get just as geeky as wine, rye when you heat it up can get inky in uh, my accent, tie like <laughs> and st stick to whatever still you're using and be really difficult to work with. So which is why most people who do rye now use a vertical still because uh, a vertical column, a column still because. Mm -hmm. It just you have more control over the process, and you don't have to worry about ruining your your vessel that you're you're fermenting. And so, mm -hmm. the the idea that they're they're making something this smooth and that type of still is shows the care they're putting into. So, the, are they are they making their own their own rice? Because I think initially they were buying. Yep. Right? So for the longest time, um, when so we started two thousand six. Mm -hmm. Um, it was predominantly MGP sourced for uh, the, those rides. building years. Um, we've I, gotten still to a, I still call it LDI because <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> we've gotten to kind of like a really great tipping point now where the, the rendezvous, our double rye, um, they're kind of equal parts, oh, um, awesome. our distillery and MGP. Um, we have a 1,600 gallon still out in Wanship, Utah, which is about 30 minutes outside Park City. And that's where a bulk of our production is um, for double rye for bourbon. Um, but like our limited stuff, our super cool stuff, um, you know, smaller production like Rendezvous, Dram, you know, all that is made on our copper pot still in Park City. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so we've we've certainly ramped up production. Um, let's let's taste this. Yeah, this I'm is... getting. Did you try the Rendezvous? Did I pour it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thank you. So so much of what I find that aromas are memories, and we went through this whole last thing we were talking about Sancerre last our last podcast, and how it reminded me of my grandmother's house in Mexico, and there's something about the smell of a high rye whiskey that reminds me of being a kid. My parents drank a lot, apparently. Yeah. My memories, actually didn't drink at all, but, um, <laughs> but there's a, a, there's a, I love the smell of like new car and new carpet. And there's, oh, I always get this aroma with high rye that reminds me of like, store called Carpeteria when I was a kid <laughs> and like going through and like rubbing my face on like the shag carpets and oh and and the the, the uh this, I'm a very sensory person like this the this the sensory of of touching the carpets and I don't know what it is about the spice of rye I find it even just with like rye in general yeah it's the herbal quality yeah so yeah. like I would say like anything um, mint eucalyptus anything that kind of falls into that more herb category which rye really do that jump out at you can almost have that same reminiscent like aroma to yeah. maybe the chemical in a new carpet. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. know. I don't know, but it makes me so happy. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Though. And like a little like apricot too. Yeah. And some honey. It's such a pretty. I get a lot of honey on this. Yeah, honey's definitely. Oh, it's so tasty. And it's it's great to see now rye coming back. Uh, and so the history pot's my my geeky thing. That's where my geek really comes out. And mm -hmm. 
most people don't know to fill out a fashion. Rye was the spirit in the Northeast. It was the it was the whiskey. It was not bourbon. It like the original Manhattan was made with rye whiskey uh, because you had corn was grown out west. You had wheat close to you know you had rye close to New York City. So that's that the it was the spirit. You well, yeah, I guess you could. Be difficult to make rye in your bathtub. <laughs> so when prohibition happened, corn was easier to use. So it completely fell out of fashion. Yeah, and, cheaper. Yeah, and, and bourbon just rose to the forefront. And we, we, we might have talked about this before in an earlier podcast, but we, we prohibition worked. We talk about yep. prohibition being this massive failure for the country and whatnot because of you know organized crime and it was repealed. You know less than 20 years later and so on and so forth, but it worked. Uh, we did not get anywhere close to pre-prohibition levels of consumption until the late 1970s. Yeah, well, and- So it, it dramatically cut consumption back and the types of things that people were drinking mm-hmm. in general. So it was like, a big reset button. Yeah, it was yeah. huge. Well, um, and, and the biggest thing, and I mean, we can tie this to a lot of different topics into today, um, you know, but it's about government regulation. And it was completely unregulated. Um, you know, if, if I were a 12-year-old boy walking into a bar in 1890 in a state that was not, because Maine was the first dry state in 1850. So it was like a good 70 years for people in Maine that had no idea about, like, they just, it wasn't part of the culture, so they didn't really care. But, you know, it was easy for me as a 12-year-old kid to walk into a bar and get shit-faced and... It's not my fault. Hey, control your kids. Yeah. Um, you know, or like just the overconsumption of like it became abuse and all these different things. And um, so I think that there was, I think there was a positive to it. Should we talk about the bottles? Yes. This is the question I get asked most. Um, so they're very unique bottle shape. They're um, hand blown glass bottles. Uh, and then there's a little uh, horseshoe on them. So um, our, our distillery in Park City is one of two Victorian era houses um, in Park City. Uh, and when it was uh, originally what it was, it was a, a barn where our distillery, where our restaurant is now. Uh, and then for a long time, it was an auto garage. Uh, and if you look at the facade of the outside, you actually see the paint. We stripped it down. So there's the auto garage paint on it. Um, and when they were building out, the, you know, the plans for the distillery and the saloon and the, in the pub, um, they actually found a, a horseshoe from the original stables in the barn. Oh, wow. um, and they loved it. And there was like a lot of meaning of like this being a sense of place and really representing Park City and our history there uh, with the building. Um, so they wanted to include it and really represent like the West and what people think of when they think about the American West is like horses running long distances. <laughs> um, so we, we put that on. Um, one really interesting thing too is um, we don't have the bourbon, but I do want to mention there's a bit of philanthropy with High West. Um, our American Prairie Bourbon, which is now just called Bourbon, um, go there's 10% of the proceeds that actually go to the American Prairie Reserve, which is bigger than Yellowstone, Yosemite, and Grand Teton put together. It's massive, um, and our the American Prairie Reserve project is taking all the man-made structures out of there, like every fence, every post, every beam that has been built over the years so that the animals that have large migration patterns mm-hmm. can go uninterrupted. 
Um, so we used to have the little antelope, the American pronghorn antelope on the bourbon label. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's, uh, that, that's still, you know, if you want to do your part by um, helping animals and getting drunk, buy a bottle of that bourbon. <laughs> oh, my God. I did for myself. Listen, I'm, this is my problem. I'm like a Bogart of the booze. No, you, you, you fit right in. This is what made it this to me. <laughs> so what I think is really just to go back onto the rendezvous. Oh, yeah. Um, just on the palate, too. I'm still getting some of those honey flavors and the apricot, but the last sip that I took reminded me of, so I'm very ritualistic in, in some things that I do. Most things not, but it, most things just come as it goes. But like coffee for me is a big, important thing in my morning. I have one cup a day. Um... And it's not that I can't, I just, it comes too acidic after a while and I drink a lot of wine, so it's too much acid and I gotta choose my battles and I choose wine. But that first cup, it's freshly ground. I do pour over coffee with just a little bit of uh, grass-fed whole milk. And there was something about the last sip that just mm. had that same, not just flavor, but texture. Mm. Um, I can what, see that. What are the, the proofs on, on these? Um, so they're about the same, I think they're 92. Uh, yeah, 92 each. I think all of our, um, the High West whiskeys are around 92, bourbon too. Yeah. So that, they're not, they're not super high. Um, but yeah, I can see what you're saying about that. I think it's the viscosity. Yeah. And that little, um, little bit of flavor that kind of lingers. I can see how you could get that from your, from your coffee. There's a, there's a, also a pleasant, uh, bitterness to the rendezvous. Mm -hmm. which is reminiscent of dark chocolate coffee, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And the rendezvous is, is, is in the barrel a bit longer. I mean, this is one of our limited, um, items. So this one, I think this one's coming out right now, comes out usually every May or June. Um, and then the double rye. So this guy, this is a blend of like a really young and a really older rye. And the idea being that the younger rye is going to be you know, it hasn't had as much time at the barrel, so it's super spicy and flavorful right at the jump, like big and bold. Um, and then the older rye, which is usually about seven years old, has had time to mellow, kind of absorb more of those vanilla flavors from the barrel. So you blend those two together and you kind of get this really lovely, harmonious. It's lemony. Lemony? I get, look at this lemon thing. There's, there's a citrus thing. Like, there. it's I really, just, really I, cool. Like, so I just, I just put a splash of water in mine and was like, did I water this down too much? And that's what I'm tasting. But no, there is a little bit of a little citrus. Uh, citrus. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, yeah. A, like a lemon. It makes me think of, so I don't like fruit in my Manhattan. Well, that's not true. Lemon is a fruit. Mm -hmm. Come on. But um, I don't like the cherry in the Manhattan. I like lemon squash. You don't, don't like having a fruit oil. salad when you order yeah. an old fashioned? You don't like the. Uh, Oh my God. If it's I see the, someone pull a muddler out, I'm like, no. The, I, so my, now in rare instances, I sell whiskey, but for the most part, I'm on the wine side. But I had a, a time when I was selling pretty much predominantly whiskey. And I would always order, when I went to a new restaurant, either an Old Fashioned or Boulevardier. Because Boulevardier is, is equal, 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 right? Like yeah. it's, it's, the, it's the, in theory, it should taste similar depending on the whiskey yeah. they use everywhere, Hard to mess right? that up. And old fashioned, if you're doing the original recipe, it's a little bit of sugar, a little bit of bitters, and you know, and whiskey, right? When you see the person throw four cherries and two orange slices yeah. in first ingredient in the old fashioned, you're like, oh my in god, a, in a sugar packet. What it's... am I gonna do? And like, if you like that, I'm sorry. Like, drink what you want to drink, but like, it's that's that's not. 
and old fashioned. Yeah, it's the original cocktail. That was literally how I was taught to make. Okay, so I went to Boston bartending school in probably 1998, and that was literally in our how to make an old fashioned. Like, take a packet of sugar and like, oh, and I'm mortified now because <laughs> I made a lot of those in Chicago in my 20s, and I'm, I apologize if I ever made you one of those. I learn better and I'll do better. You know, I got interested in wine drinking quite since. So he did. You did? Yeah. I gotta hear. Hold on. I gotta hear this story because this is like that's like Franken wine. (laughs) Well, I I, I was drinking a margarita because I can drink tequila. Okay. uh, Everyone can. And a friend of mine who my wife would make the difference. Yes, and a friend of mine who somebody I had a a very big crush on um, was drinking white zin, and I said, "How can you drink that?" It was we're right because we used to do karaoke right in between karaoke. And um, if I have it a little bit more, I will definitely start. I'm like, I gotta know the karaoke song. Um, it was Whitney Houston's I want to dance with somebody. Yeah. <laughs> that's, at least that's the way I tell the story. Um, so, no, I, I used to do like blind melon and stuff like that. Because oh, I used to try to do this like, kind of, like high pitched, kind of squealy, heavy D voice. But, um, and she was drinking White Zin. And I was like, how can you drink that? It's bitter, horrible, and sour. And she said, you would like this. And it's Fetzer White Zin Fidel, which is a brand that we sell now, although they don't make the White Zin anymore. Um, so I've come full circle. But uh, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then she gave me a whole wine tasting and like with like Lambrusco, but not like good Lambrusco. Like Lambrusco? Like like Riuniti, or not even Riuniti, it was probably Carlo Rossi. Oh. And Chablis, which is not Chablis. Yeah. A little French (laughs) And uh, a little basket. um, (laughs) And it was fun. Like she taught me how to actually taste wine with that. Like Like doing the whole. Thing. With those wines, yeah, brilliant, yeah, highbrow, lowbrow, yeah, exactly. So then I thought I knew about wine until I started learning about wine. Like, oh, I don't know shit. <laughs> this is like, dude, I I thought I knew about wine, and then I I worked at Volo in Chicago, and um, he said, "Can you name five grapes?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, like um, Pinot Grigio, Pinot Gris." <laughs> I don't think the guy said Pinot Gris. I was like, um, like red grapes. Like five red grapes? He's like, there's any five. And I was like, ooh, I think I got like four. He's like, cool. There's a book called Wine for Dummies. We're going to start there. And I was like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good, I used to work with this. He was an advanced psalm. He was the first advanced psalm in in Massachusetts. Um, And he swore by that book. It's a good place to start. Listen, no shaming anyone who's trying to learn anything. Like I am continuously humbled by the amount I don't know about wine. I just took the level three um, W set mm-hmm. and I had my wine region organizer because I'm type A and I was like, you know, trying to make flashcards off my wine region organizer. And then I'm just like, what am I doing? Like the amount I don't know about wine greatly surpasses the amount I'll ever oh, yeah. know. And I'm like a level three. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, still. You know, it's funny because um, I think when we're in this industry, it, we it's assumed that we know things. And so we'll be in a meeting. And a, a winemaker or a supplier will come in and talk about something, talk about a process that I think needs to be deconstructed more. Sure. And even if I know the answer, I'm like, can you please explain that? Yeah. Because I know, and sometimes I don't know. A lot of times I don't know. But like, I know that if I don't know it, I know there's in our group, there's at least three or four other people that don't know yeah. it. Yeah. And they're the ones that are ultimately in charge of going out and selling. Oh, when, when someone comes in and says, you know, rose is direct press for Sonnier. 
half the room doesn't know what that means. Right. That's not a knock on them. It's just that's a technical winemaking term that if you aren't really geeky about rosé, as I am, yes. you're like, you're not going to, you know, be entrenched in, in that knowledge. I mean, it, that's okay, too, because at the end of the day is, do you like it? Does it taste good? Can you, you know, for right. us, can, can you sell it? Yeah, so who cares if it's direct press or something or, or so on. But on the off chance I'm going to ask you that question, you need to be able to answer it. That's the that that's the the part for us is that extra piece go that extra mile. Don't assume because um, you're right. It's I mean, they're just the expectations for us to know things. It's 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 a lot. Well, I jokingly say to him during the podcast, I'm not the expert. He is because and and that's partially he's the me. eye candy. Oh, well, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> he's like he's got the look. You know. Um, but no, it, but hey. <laughs> Did I not tell you how hot hey. your shoes were when I came That's in? That's true. Uh, you both have look. Now, now, boys. Um, <laughs> no, but, like, I think there's, like, this uh, responsibility as, like, a, in sales, but more as an educator, because I do a lot of education now, too, is, like, I never assume anyone knows anything, yeah. but that's really hard to do because we, we go out in the world, we deal with buyers who may or may not know a lot, but they're not going to let you know sure. what their education level is. Don't want to insult them, but you also don't want to assume and then miss an opportunity. It's really hard. It's just you know we're we're um, it's a fun business. So, so I'm, I'm in. I I somehow am allowed to manage people. Don't ask me how I tricked this company to allow me to to, to do that. Um, oh, I gave so, that up a long time um, ago. I'm, so so I, I interview people because I have to, right? And I I always go, hey, you know, you, you told me you know about wine. I'm gonna throw some random stuff at you and see if you can know. And the one that was asked asked to me when I interviewed with, with the company was, do you know the grape that makes Barolo? And so I throw that out. I've only had two people out of 25 interviews probably answer that question correctly. Hmm. And every single resume said, I know wine. Yeah, wine every, every, every single one says they, they know wine. And I, and like, I don't even knock them for not. Maybe you really know French wine. Maybe you really know... I don't know Santa Barbara wine, but or in their friend group, they are the expert. they're the guy, yeah, like, or the or the girl. Like yeah. it's, it's it's who they are. So it, as you said, like we've there's we've probably forgotten more than we currently know. Yeah, based studying for these exams that we have to take and then forget five minutes yeah. later because we got the certification. We we, we move on. From and the it. same with spirits. Yeah, uh, yeah. Studying it's... for the W set three for spirits is like oh my god, all yeah. the temperatures and everything. I know. I know. It's fun. Um, and the proof levels. And the proof levels. It and can't the be grains. more than 160. And then it can't be bottled less than 125. Yeah. It has to be all that. I don't even know. I'm, I just made that stuff up. I don't even know if that's accurate for any spirit yeah. whatsoever. But I said it. So <laughs> This is what happens when you drink whiskey in the middle of the day. <laughs> We've gone on some, some journeys here with our side. Well, some that's people okay. actually, it's, it's really interesting. So usually our biggest hits are usually about three hours after the podcast comes out and it it comes out at six in the morning on a Tuesday. Okay. But a lot of our fans are in like Germany and, and Europe. So um Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> Danke. Danke. And and Ryan's mom. Yes, Ryan. Ryan's mom. Ryan's mom. Oh. Ryan's mom loves us. Yes. Well, that's great. Um so she's I, very upset that we don't post more videos on Instagram. She loves I know. Our videos. She's I know. here for the eye candy. <laughs> <laughs> And my shoes. She's like, what is this chick doing on this podcast? <laughs> so can we talk cocktails for a little bit? I would love to talk yes. cocktails. All right. So um, back on track. What well should done, what should we yeah, that, like it was a it was a 
mellow segue. Excellent too, right? segue. <laughs> um, what would you like? What's your go-to with with Tennessee whiskey, bourbon, and, and rye? Okay. Tennessee whiskey, and I'm going to beat a dead horse here because I am on this, like, journey this summer with the Tennessee margarita. But I'm telling you, try it. You take the Tennessee whiskey. Listen, make a classic filled with whiskey cocktails all day long. But if you want to try something a little unique and maybe dust off your shakers and feel a little creative, highly recommend uh, an ounce and a half of the whiskey, uh, an ounce of fresh citrus. I use lime juice to give it more of that margarita feeling. Um, House-made simple syrup. Um, and then like a little bit of orange liqueur, like half an ounce and shake over ice. Easy peasy. You could do a sugar rim. It's great. Um, the Thank r- you for not using sour mix. Who? Yeah. And, and I, <laughs> I am going to tell you right now. You I, say who. I, th- th- there's no, a list. I, there's, there's a list. I, I have a list of names. You're on notice. <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, that means that you have enough of a, a like care and love of the spirits industry to do yourself a favor and make your own citrus juice, like fresh squeezed citrus and simple syrup. You were very generous for our fan base to say. That. But but if they're interested <laughs> in this, then I feel like we're already we're on the right track. We're in the we're in the car on the way to the airport, you know. But um, so yes, make your own things. I the cocktails will taste. You know why your cocktails taste better when you go out? Because they're using fresh ingredients. When you make it at home and you're like, this is good, but it's not as good. That is why. Um, sorry, segue. No, no. Um, oh, so reserve. I would leave it alone. I would put one ice cube in there and I would enjoy. Um, classic. Um, I mean, I love, uh, we made like a really lovely whiskey sour with like a red wine float. That's like a really fun, easy thing to do. What you use for the wine, can I ask? Um, you can use like a nice dry, but fruity, but like drier finish. Okay. Um, wine on the back of a, a spoon, you get a little float, you call it like a redheaded sour. Um, that's a really great cocktail for that. Sounds like my first crush. A redhead? Redheaded sour. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that does not surprise me. Um, for double rye, I say old fashioned. For high west, <clears throat> double rye, old fashioned, all day long. Sometimes the simpler the cocktail, the better it is. It's really easy to make a good, simple cocktail just with a few shakes of bitters, a little bit of simple syrup or agave, whatever it is that you want to use to sweeten it. But, um, you know, don't cheapen out on the cherry situation. The, the Franken cherries, those bright red bleach things, are not real cherries. I know they're expensive to buy the other kind, but like I tell, I'm telling you, it will be like heads and tails a better drink with a real cherry in there. You're smiling. I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. It's just the, uh, I've had this discussion with people numerous times. They, they buy that. You know, three dollar job. That, that, that size for like three you, bucks. You like get a free drink. If you, you know, guess how like, many cherries are in oh there? Oh my god! But you know, like, go on YouTube and um, just like Google how maraschino cherries are made. I promise you, you'll never want to eat one again. It's like imagine taking something and then stripping it of everything that makes it what it is, and then putting things back into it. It's kind of like a McDonald's McNugget. You're like, is it that is. is that strawberry ice cream? Oh, no, it's just the meat. Yeah. It's really awful. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I worked in many bars. I bartended for years. I ate a lot of those. I used to try to tie the stems in, into knots with my tongue when I was bored. I get it. There's there's maybe a place for them, right? But not in an old-fashioned. <laughs> okay. Well, especially, too, based on what you're saying, like, you get a good whiskey, why would you take oh a beautiful, God. expensive whiskey 
can throw a literally yep. a penny cherry in. And you know what's, what's really cool with like the, the maraschino cherries is that you can take some of that syrup and, and you can use it in coffee. The and real maraschino cherries, yeah. not you know, fake like, ones. Yeah. And, and I hate I hate saying that we, we did the we did the little we did the tiny politics at the beginning. And I, and I hate doing that expensive cherry thing and whatnot because they're because maybe you can't afford the jar of really nice cherries or the fresh cherries or, or whatever it is, and you have to use that cheaper one because look at the, it's life and inflation is real. You know what? Though, you world, don't have right? to even add a cherry though. Co- with it, well, correct. So it's like it's the don't. Now I guess that was my point is don't feel obligated because the recipe says you have to have a cherry. Right. You have the cherry. Yeah. You can still like we talked about this earlier. When I sold whiskey, the way I ingratiated myself is I went. I used to go to a bar, sit down. I used to order a, a Bud Light, and a yes. shot of and, and a shot of Jim Beam. Man. And they did. I they and didn't he know, didn't sell either. And, and, correct. And they didn't know that I worked. Like mm-hmm. I was, I was there to sell booze. But they come over like, you're drinking uh, cheap American beer and Jim Beam. Like, I like cheap beer and yeah. I like Jim Beam. So yeah. that's what I I, I ordered. Yeah. Um, and like it's. It's okay to like that yeah, stuff. Yeah, like what you like. Um, so, like, do, do what you want, drink what you want, still have these cocktails, still do that entire thing. Like, it, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would still encourage you, don't add that shitty cherry. Yeah. <laughs> like, like have ha, have the old fashioned. Just skimp on the cherry. And if uh, unless you really, if, unless you really like that maraschino cherry, like then, well, then, 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 nice. then do you? But I would encourage you. What I do is I, 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 encourage you I take my kids to go get ice creams, and I don't let them eat the cherry. So yeah. I take them off, and then I save them. <laughs> oh my gosh! Like, just... Listen, you, you like what you like. The, the moral of the story is: you like what you, you like, and don't let anyone judge you for yeah. your tastes. But I will say, we're talking about when we make drinks with spirits like this. Let's just assume if you can buy this bottle of whiskey. That you can, you can buy the cherry. cherries, right? I think it's, that's a good point. Yeah, because it's it's an experience, right? Like you're trying to create an experience for yourself with your drink. You're treating yourself to something really lovely and um, of slightly higher quality. So which, don't skip which, out on the experience. Which you deserve. By you the deserve. Way. Treat you yourself. No, but, 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 but honestly, <laughs> you all deserve to enjoy the cocktail you have at the end of the yes. day. It's yeah. a long day. You all work hard. It's like Philippe Bondry said. He's, he's a brand ambassador for Charles Heitzig. We're talking about, and he's like, the end. You deserve it. Treat yourself. Treat yourself to a good cocktail. To yeah. a good whiskey. Always. Uh, yeah. Life is not promised. Eat the good cherries. And so what would you do with the, the rendezvous? I know. I got us off track. Rendezvous. I got to be honest. Um, I would throw that on an ice cube, too. Yeah. I don't know that I would have the heart to mix that with anything. You could. And, like, there's gobs of recipes I'd on. Do a, I'd do a Sazerac. Ooh, Sazerac might be nice. Yeah. I mean, I, I went to a place um, that had dram in a cocktail recently. And I was like, huh, okay. It's hedonistic. but still, It is hedonistic. I mean, I still like it neat. I would still drink that neat. Well, this is the other end of the spectrum, right? This is like maybe you can't afford it and you like what you like and you're drinking the Bud Light, but then there's also the people on the other end of the spectrum who are like, I'm going to use Dram for like mouthwash. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I, I waited tape well with bartending at the Spanish restaurant back in 2000 um, in, on Newberry Street. And this guy came in and we used to use cheap, cheap, cheap Spanish jug wine to make her sangria. Mm-hmm. And I would make about 15 containers of sangria a day. It was just, I, I, I hate sangria. I just hate it. Um, but this guy came in, it was, he was with his son and his son's girlfriend and they were in college. It was like parents weekend or something like that. And they were all like about to graduate or graduating. And he's like, 
oh, you're making sangria with uh, cheap wine. No, in Spain, in a, in a Spain, because in Spain, they, in Spain, I can say that it's not racist because my wife grew up in Madrid, um, and we're going to Spain at the end of August. So in Spain, uh, we use only good wine. I think myself, no, you don't. And he bought this reserve wine for like 50 bucks, which now would probably be a $100 bottle of wine and made the sangria with it. He's like, you taste this, isn't it better? I'm like, sure. Because yeah. <laughs> you're going to leave me a tip. So sure. Absolutely. It's delicious. But I still don't like it. Well, sangria. by the time you're done dumping in all the ingredients into the sangria and sweetening it, like, why would yeah. you, why would you, why would you waste the beautiful wine? Like, when the, it'll taste just as great and it scratches yeah. The you know, checks the box for people. Well and, and that's like kinda of going back to the, the whiskey margarita or kind of a sour, you know, using fresh ingredients in these and you're still maintaining kind of the I think the integrity of the spirit itself. Mm -hmm. But um you know, you don't want to add too much to it because at the end of the day, when you add too much, it doesn't I used to have this debate with bartenders all the time, like why are you using the high end, super expensive forty dollar bottle of gin to make this cocktail, well, it's better. Okay, well, and we did a, a blind tasting where I took a $5 liter gin, because it was Somerville, so that was our well, sure. and the $40 bottle of Navy Strength Plymouth Gin, and made them side by side, and every single person thought that the cheaper gin was the better product, because they had so much stuff in there, mm -hmm. and all these different infusions, and it was a beautiful cocktail, but it was so complex that at least now they can still taste the gin, but keeping it simple, you're still going to get, I think, the nuances of, of these yeah. beautiful whiskeys. Yeah, these are great. Um, do you mind if I pour myself a little bit? Please, more please. Uh, that's, I mean, that Tennessee whiskey is great. Do you guys want to hear a, a good story about um, Charles Nelson, the original Charles Nelson? Yes. So, um, so this is Charlie and Andy's third great grandfather. So, great, 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 great. It's a lot of greats. Long time ago. It's great. But uh, great. <laughs> he ended up here because his family, they were German, and his dad owned a soap and candle making factory. And at the time, you know, a lot of people were moving to the U.S., um, you know, start a new life. Um, so he decided they sold everything that they had, sold his factory, converted all of their worldly possessions to gold. Oh, wow. And uh, they set out on a ship. Um, and he was very worried about, you know, being robbed or losing the money. So he actually had a special suit made where he had all of the gold sewed into the inside of the suit, which would have made awesome. walking pretty hard, I imagine. Uh, but he boarded the ship with his wife and his six children. Uh, and as luck would have it, the ship sunk. <laughs> and the family was... <laughs> yeah, the yeah. family was rescued. Um, so Charles, his siblings, and his mom were saved, but his dad, having gold sewn to the inside of his suit, sunk to the bottom of the Atlantic. Oh. Yeah, isn't that crazy? So the family actually arrived to the New World without a penny to their name. Um, Charles was only, I think, 15 at the time, and he became the sole uh, provider for the family, and he went on to be, like, I don't know, this this crazy um, Renaissance man. I mean, he worked, he was a butcher, uh, he was a grocer. Um, he did all these different things, and when he was in Tennessee, his best-selling items were like coffee, meat, and whiskey. And his partner that was um, like his coffee connection actually went on to sell his coffee to the Maxwell House Hotel down the street. And that is where Maxwell House Coffee comes from. 
and Charles went the other way to whiskey. It's really yeah, quite interesting. Wow. They have such a like awesome history in their family, but um, I just find that fascinating. Like, you imagine like a fifteen-year-old today being like, "All right, here I am, <laughs> shine some shoes." <laughs> Not to, to double the history. What thing, was that accent? But it's by the... The... I don't know. It was fabulous. <laughs> it was, it was, it was. I have so it many of those. reminded me of Adam's episode. Oh, very much so. Parker, Harvard, Chardonnay. <laughs> Chardonnay. I feel like it's a fake accent. <laughs> yeah. I, if it was... I'm just joking. It's so easy to get rid of it. It's not. <laughs> it's who I am. But it's not. Uh, it almost is well, British. But it's so, it, it's so hard. Because I, I go in these situations where I'm supposed to talk, supposed to talk about Iron wine. <laughs> And I like French wine, so there's always a, a white burgundy, which is Chardonnay. The second I say Chardonnay, Chardonnay. I lose all credibility with these people for knowledge base. Like, like, <laughs> like the French people would say Chardonnay. Like it's like it's, they, they're not saying the R either. I know, but people don't. Maybe don't say it like you're French. It's, Try it. It comes out the same way. Does it? Well, then there you go. Just don't say kid after. Say just don't say kid yeah, after guy. every time. Yeah, you guy. Say something. yeah, guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you want to try this Beaujolais? It, 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 it's a great shot, yeah. <laughs> I got some crew Beaujolais. <laughs> That's more Bronx, I think, than... Uh, I don't know. Boston yeah. accents are wacky. No no disrespect. I love you, Boston. But, yeah, the accents here are crazy. Um, I, I have small children, so um, I have, like, a whole catalog of accents that I use um, when I read to my daughter. Um, and my youngest now hates when I do any accents, so it's a bummer, but... My, my daughter once had, she came home and she, I forgot what she said, but she said something with a Boston accent and I got so mad at her. You're like, we're moving. Pack the car. Pack the car. <laughs> Pack the car. We're out of here. Yeah. Was no, that good? Pack the car. Pack the car. Pack the car. In Harvard. In Harvard, yeah. You know what's funny is I went to Tennessee uh, actually about a month ago. Um, we got to see some family. Most of my mom's side of the family lives in Knoxville, the eastern side of the state. Um, and after a couple of days, my husband's like, you are talking like them. You literally have picked up their accent. It's really not hard to pick up that accent because it's easy. Well, you know what happens? I have a good friend who uh, lives in Vermont, born and raised, joined the military, went down to the south, down south somewhere, I forget where he went to, and then went out to like Iraq, went to Korea, came back, and has a southern accent. Love it. And it's just like, Wacky. dude, where did you get that accent from? <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? Come on. I got an accent? I, no, uh, y'all have well, an accent. So, I don't have an accent. Well, so I, I, <laughs> I met somebody from Virginia once on a, on a trip, and it was the thickest accent, and not including mine, that I've ever heard in my life. And the exact phrase was, I don't have an accent. Mm-hmm. Was, I don't know. Like, you have the, I, I don't have anything. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I, I know I have one. It is what it is. Like, I've, I've accepted it. It's fine. But the idea that it would be that thick and you won't accept <laughs> that you have one is... So, We're so going I, in for seconds here in case the listeners need kind, to know. We, kind we, of what we do. We dive back in for yeah. more. So as mentioned earlier, I don't think you believed us, we typically tend to ramble. No. And we were going to take you on this journey. You had no choice. Uh, you're kind of kidnapped, but um, it seems like you can definitely... Keep your weight with our jibber jabber. Yeah. Oh, you know, I yeah, avoided, I jibber jabber too. You avoided very deftly the entire whiskey rebellion segue that he wanted to oh, go no. into. On I your think own. we've run out of time. Uh, we have. A, we have. <laughs> Did we run out of time? Did we, have, we, we absolutely have. 
Which is why I said you avoided it. Because if we, if we do it, we're going to be here for another hour. Oh, yeah. We can't do that. I mean, so. it just depends on, like, how far these people have to drive and how much time they will have to devote to this kind of history in you know. their day. Um, like I said, I, I also, Jibber Jabber, I have a podcast too. Uh, mine, yes, is sli- mine is very short, though. Mine's, like, a tight 30 minutes, which is very a, hard. You have a producer. I do. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, wrap it up. He's amazing. Well, no, he just edits it down. But like, you know, he's, he stays quiet during, but like, you know, try to get in and out. But it's so much to talk about. Yeah. It's so fun. Well, it just, I think with, for me, it's so exciting is that we don't talk whiskey often. We don't. You know, we talk wine and there's so much history. There's so much nuance. There's so many amazing stories. There's so much difference between every single one of these. Um, and there is terroir between all of these. Which, yeah, that's very true. Um, yeah. I don't yeah, know wa- if you... Water's important, right? Like the water in the high west is different than the, the water, water in Yeah, the water. Um, the conservation efforts that go into it because there's a lot of waste that's produced in making whiskey. And I know like with high west, they have um, a, a pretty rigorous uh, system, you know, of like, you know, putting back things back and things being converted to feed for cows and, and things like that. So there's not a lot of waste. But you said something about terroir. I want to talk about it really quick. Mm-hmm. Have you had um, Taiwanese whiskey, mm-hmm. like Cavalon? I'm yes. obsessed. I love Nika. I love Japanese whiskey. But there's something so cool about Taiwanese whiskey for for two reasons. One being that is so science. Their, their blend, their blender is like off the chain. He's like the Mister Wizard of whiskey making. Like just incredible stuff that they're doing there. Um, if you see a bottle of Cavalon anywhere, it's very expensive, but it's one of the world's best whiskeys. But also, like, the aging of whiskey in Taiwan, because it's so hot and tropical, um, it's the problem. They have the same uh, issue there that, like, you know, the Caribbean has with rum, right? Like, how do you age a rum for 20 years when there's, like, that much evaporation because of the heat? Yeah. But they're using it for their benefit when whiskey um production in Taiwan because they're going, well, what you can do in Scotland in 12 years, I can do in three years with the extraction from these barrels. It's so cool. And, um, it's really unique. And, um, I don't know. I, I, I love their, uh, sherry cask. Yeah. The funeral cask is really, really, really good. The ex-bourbon oak is good too. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, um, I, I can talk about, (laughs) we can talk about whiskey probably all day. Um, Get your blankies, everyone. Good night. This will be your nightlight. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for thank you so much for coming on. This has been such a pleasure. Can you once again just tell us about your podcast? And oh um, yeah, yeah. Um, it's called yourself. The Booze Hustle. Uh, it's uh, available everywhere. Anywhere you download your podcasts. Um, we have uh, we're seasonal. We're not a weekly podcast, so um, we're recording new episodes in August, and those will probably be out in September. And so. she interviewed uh, John Malkovich on one episode, who knows Kevin Bacon. So there's yeah. a degree of separation coming into here. So now you all know Kevin Bacon. Exactly. Now you guys know Kevin Bacon too. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, and probably you guys know Frank Oz, the voice of Miss Piggy, yeah. who's a big, I'm a big fan of, and um, James Earl Jones. And I mean, we can go down the list of famous people that we now so all know. Many. Taking a weird turn here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is when it's, I read. It's gotten weirder. This is when I reintroduce the Dixie Chicks. Or I'm sorry. Oh. The Chicks. Back to the yes. Chicks. Back to the Chicks. Because they're awesome. This Yeehaw. is a great song. And uh, yeah. I think it makes sense with obviously talking about Tennessee whiskey because they, although they were from Texas, um, they signed into Sony Nashville. And that's where they were really located for quite a while. 
and covering a great uh, Bonnie Raitt song called Give It Up or Let Me Go. Love Bonnie Raitt. Me too. Best. She's my spirit animal. And wait. It's... Hold on. Oh, no. Ooh. One last thing. I was going to say this earlier um, when we were talking about like the, the fruit and put the, the cherry in or not. Um, and you asked initially, was this Dolly? Because I was going to open with Dolly Parton or, or Alison Krauss. Um, but Dolly is everything, by the way. Well, everything. Everything, everything so, on toast. Exactly. Like, like, there, there is no celebrity that we can be faithful in in this country, maybe in the world anymore, except Dolly. Except Dolly. Yeah. Exactly. Dolly is everything. Dolly is everything. So she had a great saying that I think sums up today more than anything. And it's become my mantra. Figure out who you are and do it on purpose. Love Dolly Park. I think that's going to, I'm going to name this episode. This is pretty much on the